Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Holiday, a practical guide for making the holidays holy days. And today we are 28 days away from 2020, which is just crazy and awesome. But I'm so excited to be making this video today um, for two reasons. One is because after two years of aggravation and just, I, I don't know what, confusion with iTunes, it appears that possibly the Simply Holy Living podcasts might be working. So what happened was a couple years ago, I started trying to make all the videos. I tried to make them also podcasts because it makes it so much easier for listening, as you know. Um, but it would it worked for a little while and then it stopped working and we could not figure it out. And, and Jay had been trying and trying and trying. So um, it's been so aggravating, but I think at this point we may have succeeded. So. Uh, if you downloaded that a couple years ago, or if you subscribed a couple years ago, go back on your account and delete it. Get rid of that one. Go on to iTunes and resubscribe um, to Simply Holy Living, and I think it should work. We're really, we're really going to work on that. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I'm just going to, God help us. So I hope that's working. And then the second reason I'm excited is because we are in an Advent, and I'm really, Advent is just such an amazing season. I had not grown up doing it. Um, it's not, I didn't grow up with a liturgical calendar, but a few years ago, some people around here, um, we all just started investigating it and getting into it. And it just really, it sort of saved Christmas for me because I don't know, I'd gotten to this really love hate relationship with Christmas. I just couldn't reconcile everything. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the Santa next to the Jesus in the manger and all that. I just, it was so much to reconcile. Um, but it really it's just reinvigorated um, the season for me. And it made sense to me uh, the way that it's been laid out um, since the early church began that practice. And, you know, if you're new to it, I, I really encourage you to do something to get into it this year. Of course, it you don't overwhelm yourself. It's already, the season is already a little bit overwhelming, but, um, but just dip your toe in, do something, do one book. You know, we're still doing Anne Voskamp's kid book. <laughs> we still do that. We read it, but I don't know why it doesn't get boring. I guess because you only read it once a year and each of the entries never gets boring for us. So we just read our little thing every morning with our family and we put the little ornament on our, we have an Advent tree and people have, oh, we have the Advent wreath and we light the candles, but you know, you don't have to understand it all. There are so many resources you could get. But just doing something, I think each year you grow in your ability to celebrate. It's really revitalized my whole relationship with this season. Oh, it, I totally understand now that as we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, we're actually at the same time um, preparing our hearts and our minds and everything about our life for the second coming of Jesus and waiting in eager expectation. I don't know. It's just a really cool thing. We're going to talk about a little, little bit more today. Um, but today we are going to start a two-part lesson. As you can see from the title, probably it's called Seasons of Doubt. And uh, we're going to uh, have to break it up because it just turned into a longer lesson than I would like to put on one video. But we're going to now, as we've been following the Psalms, we're going to be able to add in some of the... the um, the practices and the lessons from Advent, which is really, really cool. Um, and I think it should work out really well because we, as we've been going, as I've been reading through the Psalms of Ascent, it actually has played into that whole seasonal thing really well. So we'll see. But we've been working our way through the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, last time we, um, we've been talking for a couple of videos about wound care and about really getting um, resolved and cleaning out the wounds, any wounds that happen this year. 
And then last time we talked a lot about maintaining spiritual health through that process because it can, sometimes when you're doing some deep healing, it can cause you to um, spiral down and down and down and actually you start to lose your spiritual health, which is not good. So last time we talked about focus, um, you know, focus up. That was Psalm 123. 124 was remember the miracles. And then Psalm 125 is trust in the promises for the future. So we talked about that. And then today we're going to pick it up in Psalm 126. Uh, here it says, When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. Oh, I'm reading in the NLT, so sorry, I should have said that before. We were filled with laughter, and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, What amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore the fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They will weep as they go out to plant their seed, but they will sing as they return with the harvest. And here we see the psalmist is doing this thing that the psalms often do, which is they recall the victories of the past. They, recall, they remember the miracles. And they're praising God for the time that he brought them back from exile. And uh, they're talking about how it was such a, it's a dreamy time, actually. It was just amazing, filled with joy and laughter and all that. But then it switches uh, right in verse 4. And it goes to the future tense. God, please, it's a, it's, a, it's a request from God. Restore us. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. So we know that they are now, they're no longer in that season. They are looking back. But now looking to the future, we know that they're now not in that season. They're now asking, they're in some other form, some other season of waiting. Now, I, I listen to a lot of commentary on this, and um, there are some people that, there are some, they, there's a lot of different, um, what, what's it called, opinions about what this means and when, when it was written and what, for, what it was written for. But I think it can apply to us, this is the way that, um, that it hit me, was, you know, there's going to be seasons in our life. There's seasons of joy. There's seasons where God has brought us back. He rescued us, and we're just like, oh, oh my goodness, I, God is awesome. What a joy. And then right after that, we'll go into another season of growth. That's what it really is. Now, we'll call it the desert. <laughs> it is a time of wrestling, um, but it is a time of growth. Now, oftentimes, those growing times don't feel good. They feel barren. It does feel like a desert time. And this is what he's pleading for out of it. He's saying, please restore our fortunes, indicating they're in this hard season. And then I think it says a couple of things that are very instructive to us. First, it says that he who plants in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. And I think that this is sort of an instruction about this time. If God is doing some stripping, if this has been a hard time, in 2019 and if it has I hear you I totally understand if it has been you know these during these hard times we have to keep planting we have to keep sowing our seed that we plant even though we're planting through tears it's not a time to sit it's not a time to um, you know to sort of just lick our wounds or um, to 
to fall away, sort of, you know, just drift away or take a step back. No, it's a time to lean in. We're going to talk about that more and more. But when you are going through these hard times, you're not going to feel like doing the things that you know you should do. And Satan will get in there and he'll try to convince you, well, you shouldn't do things just because you're supposed to. You shouldn't do things with the wrong motives. You know, I, I have a little bit of a different take on that. I feel that during the times when you don't feel like it, you just need to do the right things anyway. <laughs> what is it? It's, it's Anna from Frozen 2, just do the next right thing. Um, you're not going to feel like writing your Bible, but you get up and you read your Bible. You're not going to feel like going to church sometime, but you go to church. You're not going to feel like praying, but you do it anyway, and you get people around you, um, which we'll go into more. But you just need to keep sowing. You need to keep planting the seeds. You need to keep doing the things that you know, um, because you will reap a harvest from that. You can't give up planting. You know, when we go through these hard times, we can't just put a we can't just press pause on our spiritual life and on all the stuff that we're doing. And you know, we have to keep going and keep um, doing those things, whether we feel like it or not. Even though we're doing them, as the next part says, through tears. So it indicates that we will be crying, we'll be weeping as we go out to plant our seed. But the cool thing is that when we 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 will be singing later. So if you're in one of those dry times, those desert times, we need to keep doing those things that we know that God has planned for us and, and, and are designed to help our hearts so that when the time of um, harvest comes, which it will, we will be ready to sing our songs of joy. Now, I think that this is very applicable to the season that we're in because the, um, okay, let me, let me just share this experience I had with you. Um, uh, a few years ago, as I was um, working on a project called the Heritage Project, me and some of the other moms in the Turning Point, we had started working on a project that would be designed for our fifth and sixth graders, which would take them through the entire Bible from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, then early church history, and up to today in two years. So it was a pretty big undertaking, and we were all committing to read the you know, Bible chronologically for this time, and we were going to create these little lessons and these entries that we would put in a notebook. And so for one whole year, we were sort of immersed in the Old Testament, starting from um, the garden and going all the way up until the, the exile. And as I got to the end of the Old Testament, I just, you know, it's just so despondent at the end of the Old Testament. It's like you just want to root for these people, the Israelites. Come on, guys, follow God, you know, because you kind of know what's coming. And as you're reading their their story, it's just you want to, you want, you just wish it was different. You know, you see these guys who they would follow God and they would live for God and God would give them all these victories and all these blessings and they'd be doing great. And then they would go right back to, to serving their idols. And of course, then their life would fall apart and, you know, they would have some terrible consequences, you know, and they, they, the kingdom had split and you've got Israel and they, they get so idolatrous that God lets them be taken into ex exile into Assyria. And so then you're still rooting for Judah. Come on, Judah, you can do it. Hang on. But even they can't, they start being idolatrous and they are actually sent into exile for, with the Babylonians. And then, I mean, it's just kind of how it ends. And then you have 400 years of silence, if you can imagine, just, oh, it's just a devastating time. And, you know, just kind of get despondent, like good grief. Because you know it's true in our own lives, you know, uh, how many times you think God does miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet I still turn to my own devices and like, oh my gosh, you, you can really get in touch with 
the uh, sinfulness of man in a way, you know, the human condition. So I had been doing that, you know, by the end I was a little bit despondent. But then we started working on the New Testament. And it, for the first time, I really got just what, a, what good news is. What is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Because after you st you're stuck in all that sin, and then all of a sudden it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, and then it talks about how the light came shining into the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it, could not conquer it. You know, and it just talks about Jesus, you know, being born, and this, and this hope, and this revitalization, and, and what he's bringing the world, the light he's bringing in the world, and you just, oh, you know, it's the first time that I kind of felt it in my, in my being. Like, this really was good news. It's amazing. It was good news um, from the Old Testament, from that old way of life to a whole new way of thinking. It was good news in my life when I came to know Jesus and I went from my darkness into the light. And so it was just this big awakening. And I think that that's a little bit about what Advent is supposed to be. I think the early church fathers, what they were creating was they were trying to create a time in which you superimpose this sort of darkness or um, uh, sort of a, a longing on yourself. Because Advent is originally every churchgoer, not just the monks, but everybody would fast. They would fast from food, certain foods, maybe all foods at some times, um, they would deny themselves uh, different things. They would not have any, you know, sweets or, um, you know, any of the celebratory things until Christmas Eve. And so they sort of superimposed this Old Testament, you know, darkness on themselves um, so that they could look inward, clean out their hearts, which we're going we're to talk about um, with a different, at a different time. But um, we have been a part of that process right now. This is what Simply Holy has been doing this holiday season is hopefully trying to address the sins that are built up in our hearts, trying to get rid of them. And that was their intent with Advent, was to sort of look at that stuff, um, uh, present it to God, get rid of it, but somehow tangibly and experientially impose a darkness on themselves. Um, now, this is very foreign to us. I realize I'm not, and I'm not trying to rock your world. I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying this is, this is how I understand it. Um, and the purpose of that would be so that when Christmas comes, you're actually feeling it. You're feeling it with every sense that you have. And I do think that this is in the very nature of God. God is an experiential teacher. Um, every time that he called the Israelites to stop and celebrate a festival, there were they always engaged every one of their senses. There would be special food to eat. As you know, if you've done Passover, there's salty, there's sweet, there's sour, there's bitter. He wants them to taste those things. He, he has, he, God says, you know, get all the yeast out of your house. So it's something that you do, you actually participate in. Um, there's certain, at the Feast of Tabernacles, you, you stay in your, in your tent for a week so that you can experience the life in the desert, the, the wilderness life. You know, he's an experiential teacher. And so I think that Advent is really in alignment with that, where we try to experience this in some way, some sort of fast or some sort of um, uh, active self-denial that will enable you to experience that part so that when Christmas comes, you can celebrate. Some people don't light their tree until um, Christmas Eve. We've done that for the past couple of years. We're not doing it this year. Um, I think one of my sons rebelled against that, which is awesome. But 
where, you know, you can do that. Like well, one year we just didn't put anything up until Christmas Eve, or you can um, only do the candles until then, or, you know, uh, whatever it is that you want to do, you know, little things, just, just put something into the water stream. Maybe it's just keeping an advent calendar is enough because the anticipation of it. So that's the idea also behind the calendars to build up the anticipation of Jesus coming. And we are trying to build up in our hearts the anticipation of Jesus' second coming while we're doing that. So this right here in Psalm 126, it shows us that we're going to have these different seasons in our life. We're going to go and we're going to have times of joy. And then we're going to have times that are, are, um, they're a little more like the desert. And as we are talking about this time of year and as we get into this, I want to look at the characters, some of the characters of the nativity story. Now, here's what's funny is that Advent has pretty much salvaged my relationship with Christmas, and but, but, but seriously, my relationship with the nativity story. You know, when you've heard something over and over and over and over and over and over again, it just becomes that white noise, you know, of Jesus, baby Jesus in the manger and the angels and the shepherds and the blah, 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 blah. And it's almost like you're rattling it off. And I think it had, sadly, it's embarrassing to say, but kind of lost its the right significance for me. But as I've been studying it more and more and more, I have I actually it's been totally it's totally reversed. This is now my favorite. <laughs> this is now my favorite story of the Bible. That's hilarious. And all the characters are so rich and amazing. And so I, I you know, someday I want to write a book when I have time and I'm not parenting. Well, I guess I'm going to be parenting forever. Then I'm going to be grandparenting, so i got to figure out something. But um, I want to write a book that just highlights each character in the nativity. Wouldn't that be awesome, you know, just what we can learn from them? But today we are going to start our study with the very first character that we're introduced to in the nativity story, and that is Zechariah. So if you can follow along in your Bible, we're going to look at Luke 1, and we're going to get started on this. We're going to start with verse 5. It says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abihah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. So I want to just stop right there for just a second, just because I love this thought, that they were considered righteous by God. Don't you just long for that? I mean, you know, we could, I, I personally, I can be self-righteous, and I can also, you know, think I'm more righteous than I really am. And I, you know, the Bible says that all a, ways, all a man's ways seem innocent to him. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm innocent. <laughs> but... For God to call you righteous, oh, wouldn't that just be music to your ears? Just amazing. Um, so God looked at these guys and he was like, I'm pleased with you. You are righteous and I acknowledge that. And I think that we have to remember that God does look at us that way. Those of us that have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and are being made holy, when he looks at us, he sees us as holy. And we have to keep that in our minds because this next part where it says that they were unable to conceive. You know, sometimes in life, we don't get what we want. We don't have the life that we thought that we were supposed to have. We have a different life. Our, our husband is not what he, we thought he should be. Our kids don't turn out the way we think that they should. I should be married by this time. Or, I, you know, I, I um, should never have gotten married. I don't know. Whatever 
lot you have. You could be in high school right now longing to get out. You could be in college longing to get out. You could be longing to get married. You could be um, longing for children. Whatever it is, but we have these these lots in life. Sometimes the um, the cup that's been given to us. And this is what was given to Elizabeth and and Zechariah, is that they weren't able to conceive. Now, we know that actually what God was doing in this situation was he was saving them for something bigger and better. But even if he wasn't, what a heart to accept the lot. It's called contentment. It's when you truly believe, surely the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. When you truly accept, this is this is the life I've been given, and it's beautiful. It is great. I mean, you know, when you really settle in to um, what God has planned for your life, I see that in Zechariah. It's a goal for me. Oh, definitely not there. It is a goal for me. And I think it's a lesson that just when God says, doesn't give us something that we think that we really want or need, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've done something wrong, which is where we can go very easily. What's wrong with me? Or why am I not being blessed? Or God, my, God must be angry with me. Or God's not pleased with me. God was very pleased with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And yet he, they still didn't get what they thought that they wanted at this moment. It's important, whatever lot you have in life, whatever my lot that has, thou has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's an important concept. Um, but let's keep reading. It says, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was customary of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. And I think that this is an important quality of Zechariah, that even in his waiting, even in this, this time, still serving, still going, still, still serving God, still praying, still doing what God called him to do, like we talked about from Psalm 126. We can, we, even if we are weeping, we still plant our seeds and we still um, do the things God has called us to do. While Zacharias stood, was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. Uh, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And then it goes into a long explanation about who John is going to be, but I'm going to save that for another lesson. Um, but I just want to point out here that, you know, the angel comes and basically says, God God has heard your prayers. And I, when I read that, I'm just like kind of convicted because I'm like, is, was he still praying for his son? <laughs> was he still praying for that after all these years? Like, I you know so many prayers. I've just honestly embarrassing. I hate saying this, but I just give up on him. Like this hasn't happened. You know, I mean, and I can be really piddly. Like I can pray for three months for something to happen. It's like, oh, it doesn't happen. Never mind. <laughs> um, but also there are some serious things I have, I've prayed for, for almost 30 years and still am, am, am awaiting a response. Um, is it a no? And I don't even know. Is it a no? Is it a not now? You know, I know it's not a yes. But I just admire the thought that what Zechariah had continually prayed. Oh, what an upward call to not give up on those, those prayers that are, you know, are just 
um, only, only God. They're miracle prayers, right? They're way beyond our fixing. They're way beyond our making. It's just a miracle prayer. And uh, it just inspires me to keep praying like that. So now let's uh, jump over to verse 18. It says, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. Oh, and then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Oh dear. So what is so, and this is what I really get into loving Zachariah. I love him because he gives me hope for myself. Because even with all of his righteousness and even with all, you know, he's really a righteous dude. He still doubted. He still doubted. <laughs> There are seasons of doubt, and I find it very significant that the very first character we encounter with the Nativity story, with the incarnation of Christ, right? God coming in flesh is a doubter, and that just makes me so happy. So here's Zechariah, this righteous guy, and then an angel standing before him. And I think about the many times that you've thought in your mind, and I know you have disciple, like, well, if I was there, I would have believed. You know, like if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have eaten the apple. Or if I was one of the disciples, I would have believed. If I was there, and if, if, if just an angel would appear to me, then I would believe. I would know, you know. You know, no, we wouldn't. We're just frail mistake-making, disbelieving, doubtful people at times. And that is the truth. No matter how righteous we are, we are going to have those times. And he just blew it. And the angel is standing right in front of him, and he doubts. Oh, dear. You know, and then I think about Gabriel's response, which basically Gabriel doesn't even tell him how, because that's what he asks. He said, how can I be sure? How, how can I be sure this is going to happen? Gabriel doesn't even bother to answer that question. He doesn't tell him how. He tells him who. He says, oh, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. He answers with who. You know, we don't need to know the how all the time. Think back to Moses. When God called Moses from the burning bush, and Moses says how, basically. And, and what am I going to do when I go before Pharaoh? And what am I going to say when they ask me who sent, who sent me? Or, you know, where, where do I get my power from? And God said, you tell them I am sent you. He answers with who? God is. He needs no explanation, and he doesn't need to explain all of his workings out with you. He does. You do not need to know the how. There are so many times, and I'm preaching to myself. I have no idea how things are going to work out. No idea what the future holds. I know who holds the future. I know who is Lord of my life. I know who God says he is. I don't even claim to know who he is. I know who God says he is, and that is enough. It is enough that Gabriel stood in the very presence of God. It is enough that this was God's plan. You know, I think what a mind-blowing concept that he doesn't even answer the how. He just answers the who. But, you know, Zechariah, and then he gives, but then he gives him this consequence. You know, you're not going to be able to talk. So here's the deal, Zechariah, just stop you know, no talking. You're not going to be able to speak until this baby is born. And actually, does it does it even say that? You, you are certainly, it says, you'll be unable to speak until the child is born. Yeah, it does say that. So this is a consequence. And I mean, this is where I, I live in consequences, people. <laughs> this is where I live. I feel like, you know, 
this, this, you're not going to be able to talk. I'm like, oh, I feel God telling me that. You just be quiet. Just, you talk too much. Just, just, don't, don't you hear God saying that sometimes? And sometimes, and some of us need to accept that that is actually a thing with us. That's actually a sin. We just talk too much. I mean, I have to become way more slow to speak, way quicker to listen. That's, if anything I've learned over this past year is stop talking. <laughs> I must wish God go ahead strike me mute because uh, that I would know I'm in good company. Um, but this is a consequence, and sometimes you know God just gives us a consequence, and we just have to reap the consequences in our life. You know, I feel like I've, rep, I've I'm reaping the consequences of talking too much, saying too much, being too emphatic, being too opinionated, um, talking over people, not listening enough. You know, all that stuff. You know, sometimes we just blow it. I mean, Zachariah just blew it. He was just wrong. You know, sometimes we're just wrong. And you know how many times you, you say you 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 speak up, you talk over somebody, you speak out of turn, or or you or you, you say the right thing, but you say it the wrong way, so you're still wrong. You know, like you say every say the right thing in the wrong way. Doesn't matter. Our tongues get us into trouble all the time. So here's this consequence that's put on him is that you're not gonna be able to speak until the child is born. And you know, Zachariah just has to go, I was wrong, you know, and that is exactly what he does. He doesn't spiral down into self-pity. He doesn't let, the, let this incident, his failure, take him out of the story. It doesn't take him out of the story. He's still used. This is what's amazing. God still chooses Zachariah and Elizabeth. It's not like at this point when, the, the, when he didn't believe in the angel was like, forget it, we'll get somebody else. Never mind, this guy. God, why'd you pick this guy? He doesn't even believe me. And he doesn't send Zechariah to hell. He doesn't say you're out of here. You've sinned too many times. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, you disappoint me. God is not disappointed with you. He is still going to use you, just like he used Zechariah. He still used them to bring in John the Baptist, to be the parents of John the Baptist who would pave the way for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. That is a big responsibility, and it shows that God did find favor with them. We're going to make mistakes, guys, but it doesn't take us out of the story. Zechariah, later on, after the baby is born, of course he goes home and he can't talk for all this time, but after the baby is born, and he writes down on his little tablet, his name is John. Then all of a sudden, God opens his mouth and he can speak again. You know, consequences don't last forever. It's for a time. And we need to be able to go, it's okay, God. I, I, I'm sorry. You know, we just, we apologize. We repent. We change. And we keep going. Because God still uses the doubter. <laughs> you are going to have t seasons of doubt there are going to come times where you just what you're seeing in front of you just does not compute with what you know about God. And that's sort of where I want to end today is just assuring you that even though we go through these times of doubting, God is still invested in you. He is still going to carry out his good purposes in you. You are not kicked out of the story. You're not kicked out of the kingdom of God. He is not through with you. So disciple, whatever you're going through, don't let it be the end for you. Don't let it be your swan song. Don't let it be the last thing that you do. Don't let, no, say, God is not done with me. God is going to use me. And you're going to keep making mistakes until you die. <laughs> That's just the truth of it. But isn't it all about just the apology? Going back to God, oh God, I'm so sorry. Why did I doubt? Talking to the people around you, I'm so sorry. Why did I do that? I'm so sorry I spoke to you that way. Whatever it is. 
and letting God use you in spite of your doubting Thomas ways, right? Instead, in spite of your doubt, let him grow you through this time of doubt. And I hope this helps you until part two.